It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. Las Vegas is not immune from the coronavirus, both from its effects on the tourism industry and on its residents. This fall, students will be returning to school or college, either on campus or through distance learning. In addition to the uncertainty of the school year, the ongoing self-quarantine of some households have created frustration and, in some cases, depression. Given the unusual times we're in, my guest may be able to help us on perspective and insight. He's R. Avery Burton, Reggie Burton, author of This is Depression. The book is a personal story about Reggie losing his son to depression and suicide and the steps he's taken to use the grief to help others. To order the book, go to thisisdepressionthebook.com and follow him on Twitter at Reggie Burton. And Reggie, welcome to the show. Ira, thank you so much for having me. Well, I think it's an important subject, and it's so personal with you, and so many people in Las Vegas know you and know your story. I thought it was an appropriate time to talk in depth about this issue, which is a serious one. So I'm going to give you the reins for now, and we'll start to get into it. Well, Ira, you know, I, I think, let me just say, I think any time really is a, is a good time to talk about mental health and, and depression issues. And as you noted in your intro, with, with all this conversation and talk about heading back to school, should we not do it in person or should we do it online? Should we do it through a hybrid? It's an ideal time to take a deep dive and, and try to really understand what the impact of all these decisions will be. And these are major decisions. And the reason I wanted to talk to you about it is because of your own personal story. And yes, it's any, any time is a good time to talk about this issue, but I thought it more appropriate from our point of view because of what's going on in the world and in Las Vegas right now as well. So tell us a little bit, Reggie, about what brought you to writing this book. And it's painful, but if you can just give our listeners a bit of a background. Yeah, sure. So, Ira, you've known me for, for a long time. And, you know, I, I have three boys and two of them college graduates, and I've got another that's headed off to college. So, you know, the Clark County School District here in, in Clark County, Nevada, you know, I'm very well acquainted with the schools and the environment that the, the students are learning in. And for the most part, my kids lived a very normal life, normal upbringing for any parent that's out there that are your listeners. So I say that as a background because one thing I didn't realize about the college experience that's so different from when yourself or, or me, you know, when we were going to school, is this one statistic, and I'll tell you, and, and this will be a segue into the story of my book. One out of four college students suffers from depression. That is something that I don't think that the colleges really have their arms wrapped around, or if they do, that they don't want the parents and the students to know. Now, how do I know all of this? So in 2017, my oldest son, Avery, graduated from UNLV with a degree in kinesiological sciences. He wanted to be a doctor. Very normal, hardworking, disciplined kid, just a really, really good kid. Couldn't clean his room for 
keep his room clean. But was by by you know by all measures was a really good kid. It stayed out of trouble, kept his nose clean, all the things that you want as a parent from your from your child. As he went through the school process and picking his major and deciding where he wanted to go to school and all these things, all paths sort of led to UNLV. They had a really good program for health, and the doctoral program uh, for physical therapy was really good. So we checked it out. Everything checked. All the boxes check, 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 check. So as he's going through college and getting the experience that we all hope for our children and, and our young people and working on campus and, uh, you know, making the dean's list. You know, Ira, everything looked really, really good from the outside. So fast forward to graduation. In 2017 in May, right after graduation, he comes to me and basically says uh, he's not feeling like he is either prepared or, or ready to go to grad school. That was, to say it was shocking was, was, is an understatement because that had been the plan for four years. And there was no one really more qualified to be ready for that next step. So I talked it over with him and said, hey, look, you know, tell me what's going on. And he just said, I just don't have confidence that I, confidence that I can really help people and, and perform and all these different things. It, it was almost like someone had kidnapped my son and, you know, taken over his body. So I just chalked it up to maybe some post-college you know, distractions, and he couldn't apply to grad school until December. So he had the whole summer to himself, first time in a long time, first time in almost eight years because he was a three-sport athlete in high school, so he was always busy. So in other words, it was after these four years of college, of hard work and everything, there's a slight break, and that's when he starts to experience these feelings and thoughts. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and the point I want to make here that's very important for you and your listeners is that this was in May, and once the thoughts of sadness and sort of despair about his career prospects start to set in, that quickly exacerbated into depression and then suicidal ideation. Fast forward a little bit more to July, we start to hear from friends that he's been openly talking to them about potentially wanting to commit suicide. And by the time we could kind of get our arms around that news um, in less than a week, uh, he was gone. So <clears throat> I, say, I, I say all this to say that it, it, it was a parental blind spot, uh, point one, regarding mental health, depression. And point two is that if it could happen to me and my family, look, I, I do PR for a living. I run a, a busy PR firm. And, you, you know, in fact, that's how we met, right? Sure. So for me, you know, I, I'm as well-read <laughs> as you can be on just about every issue. If it's in the newspaper or if it's on the TV news, I've probably heard about it. Knew very little intimately about mental health. It just, it just floored me how little I knew. So that's when I said, you know, if, if I'm the one that has a blind spot, how many other parents out there? And then as I did therapy and counseling and started to do some research, then that's when I started to get into the data. One out of four college students suffers from depression. Suicide, the number two cause of death for uh, adolescents between the ages of 13 and 26. 
So, you know, there's a problem there, and I needed to get, I needed to figure out how to use my platform, and that's why I wrote the book. And your background also includes, just for our listeners who may not know, you were a professional journalist, you were involved with the NFL Public Relations Alumni. You were definitely working in the casino industry before you started your firm. I think I met you actually while you were in the casino industry PR before you started your firm. So we go way back. And just with all of that background to, as you said, you had a parental blind spot. Were you able, you never get over it, obviously, and it's a sensitive subject, which is why I appreciate you coming on to talk about it. But was it also part of the motivating factor for you is the guilt that you felt? In other words, that you, by trying to overcome the guilt, you you were able to write this book that will help other people? You know, it, it's so we just had our third year anniversary. If you had asked me that question two years ago, uh, I probably would have told you, yes, absolutely, it was it was partly due to guilt. Which is um, normal. That's why I'm asking the question. I, right. I would imagine that, but, that would be part of it. Yeah, but what I realized, Ira, going through counseling and um, trying to understand um, how to process everything that happened so that I could help my other two children and the rest of my family understand, this is not – I didn't write the book to shame myself or relieve myself of guilt. I didn't write the book to shame other parents who may be going through the, other, the, the same thing that, that we went through or similar things. I wrote the book partly as a therapeutic to kind of help the healing process further along, but I also wanted to provide a legacy for my son because, you know, look, every, every parent thinks that their child is brilliant. My, my son was, was, he was outstanding. He was amazing. He was, uh, like I said, uh, from, you know, couldn't clean his room, like I said, <laughs> room yeah. but the kid was, right. was amazing. His, his, you know, his legacy was something that I wanted to sort of memorialize and have the family be able to remember him in a way and also understand what happened. Because I'm sitting here sharing with you and your audience that I had a parental blind spot, but there are a lot of other people who just are not comfortable talking about these issues, Ira. Yeah, it's a, t- it's a tough subject. There's no doubt about it. And the fact that you were able to, whether it initially started out as partly guilt and partly a, a way to overcome grief and partly a way to really find out what happened and then share that revelation and information to others, the point is a lot of people are, are not comfortable talking about it. And, I, and there's many reasons for that on a society level. But So you're actually... You, creating really a new way of looking at this that I think hasn't been approached before because you took the time in your grief to research and to write and then come out with this book, which again is called This is Depression, and we'll, we'll give more information about the book. And also the two foundations that you have, which is the Avery R. Burton Excellence in Academics and Sports Scholarship, and then the Avery Burton Foundation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to mental health outreach, and also saving lives. So I wanted to kind of give that predicate for people who are listening to get the real full sense of what you're doing now as a result of this tragedy. Well, Ira, I'll be more simplistic than that. I'm saving lives. That's what, that's what I'm doing. I'm saving lives because, listen, people, you know, people don't have months and years to, to deal with some of these mental disorders. Sometimes you only have weeks and days and hours. 
especially if you're talking about a major depressive episode. So I think the main point, you know, and I talk about my son in my book, but I also try to keep it light because, again, I'm not trying to shame parents. I try to tell it in a, in a narrative form. I try to tell the story in a narrative form because I don't want people to focus on all the bad stuff. I want them to think in terms of, okay, this person had this tragedy happen, but he's trying to do something that most people just don't have the ability to do, which is to turn their tragedy into something positive. And that is exactly what I'm doing, saving lives. I'm trying to do that by ending the stigma. And I have the platform. You know, look, no one has a bigger megaphone. Well, some people do, but, you know, the average person does not have the megaphone that I have, the ability to reach the media, the ability to, you know, put websites together with information and resources. So I've taken that on as a challenge, and I've had so much support from not only family and friends, but colleagues reaching out to share stories about their children that are struggling with issues. And the most frightening thing you mentioned, but it needs to be said, is that this can happen quickly. That's something I don't think most people realize. They think of depression and suicidal ideation as something that comes over time and you can catch it somewhere along the line, but clearly from your own experience and your family's experience, this happened quickly. You know, I'll say, I'm not a professional therapist, I'm not a doctor, but I'll say something that some may argue with me about, but I believe that depression and some of these mental health disorders are preventable if you get some help. So in order to make that happen, we have to identify the problems, and, and that is where we fall short as a society. We, you know, it, it's hard to solve a problem if you don't know what you're looking for. So that's essentially what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help people solve this problem. And to your point, Ira, we're in a global pandemic, and this coronavirus that's spreading across not only the United States, but it's spread across the world, has affected so many people, not just adolescents, I know we're talking about students, but adults as well, you know, and um, I think we need to do better to reach out to people. So I'm so glad for you to reach out to me and and want to create some awareness. Well, let's take a break. My guest, R. Avery Burton, also known as Reggie Burton, is author of This is Depression. The book is a personal story about Reggie losing his son to depression and suicide and the steps he's taken to use the grief to help others. To order the book, go to thisisdepressionthebook.com and you can follow him on Twitter at Reggie Burton. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. 
Welcome back. I'm talking with R. Avery Burton, also known as Reggie Burton, the author of This is Depression. The book is a personal story about Reggie losing his son to depression and suicide and the steps he's taken to use the grief to help others. To order the book, go to thisisdepressionthebook.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Reggie Burton. Reggie, how long did it take you to both research and write the book, given clearly that you were dealing with not only your regular work schedule, as you say, it's a busy practice, but also, frankly, the grief and your own emotional state as well? So that's a good question. I, um, I knew immediately, Ira, that I wanted to write a book, uh, and I told several people that I, maybe it sounded more aspirational, but I'd never written a book in my life, but I knew that this was a moment in time that maybe it was meant to be. So from the moment I made that decision, shortly after my son passed away in July of 2017, I probably started to put a manuscript together sometime around September. But I was struggling, you know, still processing, still healing, still going to counseling. In October of 2017, and this is in Chapter 5 of my book, I meet uh, or reconnect with someone from my past. And it was a Jeanette Lee, who is now Dr. Lee, an optometrist in San Jose. We went to high school together, and she was a year behind me, and I had not spoken with her in over 30 years. Hadn't seen her, hadn't spoken to her. How did you reconnect? So she reached out to me on LinkedIn, of all places, and just said, hey, it's Jeanette, do you remember me? I was going through some of my dad's stuff. And I looked at it, and I said, Dr. Lee, no surprise, because I knew she wanted to be a doctor. I didn't know she wanted to be an optometrist, but I knew she wanted to be a doctor. So I said, of course, remember you, uh, now's a tough time. This was October 1st, and I know all your listeners that are connected to Vegas remember that time as being the one October shooting right. on the Strip. So I, you know, I told her, I said, look, it's a tough time to really try to play catch up. But here's my number. Let me get yours, and let's see if we can find a way to connect later in the week when things calm down. I have colleagues to chase down and see if they're still alive. And there's just all these things going on, kind of in a crisis mode, all hands on deck. So we get through that week, and we exchange some text messages and a couple of photos. And by Friday, we were on the phone. And it was great. It was like a a, a two-person class reunion, <laughs> you know, or just, hey, have you seen Pookie? When right. was the last time you talked to Ray Ray? It, you know, it was, it, was, it was fun. So that went on for about an hour, and uh, she showed me some, some pictures of her kids, and I showed her some pictures of my boys. And when we hung up, and I don't want to steal the thunder from people that are going out to buy the book, but I do detail this in, in a little bit more clearer fashion. But when we hung up, she said something that stuck out to me. She said, I think we have some unfinished business, so let's talk again soon. And I said, okay, that's odd, but maybe I'm just a little tired. So we hung up. The next day, she calls me, and I said, hey, what's up, Doc? And she's a triathlete. She had just went for a run, and she had made it back. And she said, I needed to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I go into a private room because I could tell it was serious. And I'm going, hmm, all right, you're sounding way too serious. What's going on? She said, it's about one of your boys. I don't know which one, but I feel one of them has been hurt. Hmm. 
And then in the next minute, before either one of us could say anything else, my son came through the phone. So Dr. Lee is also a medium. Amazing. So when people ask me about my healing process, my healing process basically got put on an accelerated track. And I was able to get all the answers, gain peace, and give my son his peace. And that's when I was able to finish the book. That's an amazing story. When you finished the book, and obviously your family read it, not maybe all members of the family, but enough, did they give you some encouragement about the tone that you took and the material that you included? I think, I think they appreciated two things. I think they appreciated the fact that I was shining a light on something that really no one else wants to talk about. And the second thing is um, they really wanted to understand what happened. So based on the research and putting it all together, the statistics I gave you and your audience earlier about one out of four students suffering from depression. Yeah, that's a high percentage. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it really is, you know. And, and um, putting it all together and helping explain why that is the case, then I think, yeah, the reaction was somewhat illuminating for a lot of people. In fact, I'll tell you this, Ira, I had people coming up to me People I've known for over 20 years. We moved here in 2000. So people that I've known throughout the years spent time with them and their families at, you know, flag football games and at end-of-year parties and so on and so forth. Do you know in the 20 years, we've never really talked about their kids? Every time, every interaction has always been, everything's great, everything's great, everything's great. After Avery passes away, specifically from, from mental health and depression issues, all of a sudden, people are coming to me, did you know that my son had a Percocet overdose? Or did you know that my daughter has been seeing a therapist for the last three years? Or did I tell you that my son tried to commit suicide last week? And it was just, you know, it, it made me realize that I was doing the right thing because we need to have more real conversations and less conversations, if that makes any sense. Yes, they, they in essence, because of what happened to you and the, and the writing of the book, they dropped their guard. Yes. You know, look, it's not a sexy topic. If, you know, I run into you and Gina at Trader Joe's, I'm not going, hey, everything's great. My son tried to commit suicide. Right. There's just no context for that. Yeah, of course. But I think we need to get to a place where we can find some context. And I think this pandemic has created that opportunity. Well, it is because people are not in the, in the artificial world of business and they're at home and they're really having to contemplate what their new reality is in many cases and also what their authentic reality is because they're stuck either by themselves or with their significant other or with their wife and kids or with their brothers and sisters or whatever it is. And so they have to come up with a way to be realistic about what their lives are about. And I think that's why I wanted to have you on, because I think that's the time to really talk about all this. Well, listen, Ira, you know, one of the things that I've realized about this epidemic and this pandemic that's happened to our societies is that it has created anxiety. But what, what's happened is it's 
a series of triggers. And it's triggers from consuming too much media. It's triggers from the isolation. So before I get to some of the solutions that I, I would share with, you know, parents for their child heading off to college or heading off to, to high school, whatever the case may be, for the parents, I would like to say this. Give yourself some mental space. Give yourself a break from social media. Give yourself a break from TV. Look, I'm in the PR business. I'm trying to get my clients PR all the time. But I think there's a limit that you have to set in terms of how much you can consume before it starts to weigh on your mental health. And, you know, I was reading about a PR professional who runs an agency in Phoenix area about a couple of weeks ago. She was filmed on TV. It made national news having a breakdown in the middle of a store because she didn't want to wear a mask. And she was asked to leave, so she throws a fit, and she starts Mm -hmm. talking about, I'm wearing a Rolex, and I run a PR agency, and (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And it just literally flips out. Yeah. And a couple of weeks later, her husband leaves her, her clients leave her, and now she's claiming she did it because she was in poor mental health. Now, I don't know if that's legit or not, but I don't want to make light of the seriousness, but, you know, people, people have to dial it down a notch. Yeah, no, absolutely agree on, on that because so, so many people just get triggered so quickly about sometimes it's just nonsense. But we only have a few minutes left, so I'd like to touch a little bit on your suggestions that you have because you mentioned you were going to do that after you talked about that absolutely. example. Absolutely. The first thing I would tell someone in your audience is if you have someone that's going back to high school this fall, whether it's a hybrid or whether it's in person, find out what the resources are for mental health in your school. Find out what you have available and what your child has available so that you can resolve any issues right away. Second, Check your health plan. Check your health coverage. What does it cover? How many trips? Do you have a therapist in mind if you need one? All those things should be done prior to the school year. Now, if you're sending someone away to college, I would recommend the same thing. Whether they're going to be in class or doing a hybrid, find out what those resources are available for that student. You're paying for it. I know because I have two college graduates, and I have one getting ready to head off to Tempe for Arizona State. So I I know that this is a stressful time for a lot of parents, but be proactive and be strategic and don't wait for something to happen. And for anyone that isn't in a situation to send their child to college this year or maybe you're taking a gap year and you don't have the resources to get a therapist or see a mental health professional. I have resources on my website. Most of them are free resources, so I urge you to take advantage. AveryBurtonFoundation.org. That's an excellent piece of advice. And let's end it with what you see coming up. Are you optimistic that your message will get out and that people will more and more look at depression and what triggers suicidal ideation? Or are you pessimistic? So I'll give you that choice of optimistic or pessimistic. I'm always optimistic. Ari, you know me. Absolutely. Yeah, but I wanted know. to end on an optimistic note, especially on this heavy of a topic. 
Jomo. You know, we, 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 we hear FOMO. We hear our kids use FOMO. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a, a lesson for your audience that's our age, right? Right. Fear of missing out, FOMO. Well, flip the script. Let's call it Jomo. The joy of missing out. <laughs> exactly. Filter out all that extraneous nonsense and live an authentic life. There you Would go. Would be a way to do it. That's a great way to end it. Thanks, Reggie. My guest has been R. Avery Burton, also known as Reggie Burton. He's the author of This Is Depression. The book is a personal story about Reggie losing his son to depression and suicide and the steps he's taken to use the grief to help others. To order the book, go to thisisdepressionthebook.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Reggie Burton. Reggie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. See you next time. Stay safe. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah,